I want to draw your attention for a few moments to the book of Acts, if I may. Acts chapter 11. And uh, Brother Soundman, if you'll help me all you can tonight, okay? Wherever you are. Because I'm going to need it. This is a very special season right now for Pentecostals. It's a very special season for Christians. Today being Palm Sunday, celebrating what is referred to as the triumphal entry of Christ coming into Jerusalem just a few days before his passion, before his suffering on the cross. Then, of course, this coming Friday, we would commemorate as what is known as Good Friday. When he stretched himself out on that old rugged tree and gave himself as a sacrifice for all of mankind that we could be saved. But then, of course, next Sunday, we will commemorate that wonderful, wonderful resurrection story and sing, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Folks, we don't serve a dead Lord, a dead Savior. He's alive. I feel him in this place tonight. But not all that long after his resurrection and his suffering, a group of people gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 tells us that there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. What a powerful moment when people that had followed Christ, some 120 of them, out of the 500 that heard him say, go and tarry in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. 120 are there to receive this blessed promise. Many call that the birthday of the church. And not long from now, we will celebrate that wonderful, wonderful event and occasion. But it's Acts chapter 11 that gets my attention tonight. In Acts chapter 11 is the account of Peter going back to Jerusalem to explain to the Jewish church how Gentiles have now received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was somewhat a chore for him, somewhat a challenge because he had somewhat indoctrinated the early believers that this was an exclusive blessing. And that the river of the Spirit outpouring was contained within the banks of the Jewish believers. But now, an amazing thing has happened in Acts chapter 10. An Italian man by the name of Cornelius and his entire house has been filled with the Spirit. Some of you will remember the story, and I'll read the text in a moment. But God had been dealing with this man by the name of Cornelius, who the Scripture describes as a devout man. Now, there's some debate as to whether he even knew Jesus or not. But he was devout, which basically means he had an inner consciousness of doing right. He was a generous man. 
He was a giver of alms. He helped people. Somehow there was a drawing of the Holy Spirit to his spirit. And he began to seek as best as he knew, as best as he understood. He began to seek the Lord. And God instructed him, send for Simon Peter, who at the time was lodging at Simon the Tanner's house in a place called Joppa. And the Lord instructed Cornelius and said, he will come and tell you what you need to do. What's amazing about this story is that simultaneously, at the self-same time, God is dealing with Simon Peter. And he goes outside one day, and he sits outside, waiting on them while they're preparing a meal on the inside. And as he's sitting out there, the Scripture tells us he went into a trance. And in that trance, he begins to see a vision. He's lost in the Spirit. And he begins to see things from God. And God begins to show him a vision of what the King James Version referred to as sheets coming down from heaven, some kind of containers. But the King James referred to them as sheets. And inside these sheets, inside these containers, there are creatures. Peter doesn't know that yet until he steps up to look inside because the instruction of the Lord was, Peter, whatever you see inside these containers, rise up and eat what you see. Peter just assumes that it's some kind of good kosher Jewish cuisine. And so he's ready to participate. But when he looks in, he sees inside these containers unclean things that a good Orthodox Jew wouldn't touch or even come near. And to God's instruction to eat what he is seeing, Peter repels that. And he says, not so, Lord. These things are unclean. These things are not proper for a Jewish Orthodox man to partake with. And three times God shows him the same vision, and every time Peter resists, and he says, not so. Finally, the Lord says, would you quit resisting what I'm trying to bring into your life? Would you quit ignoring what I'm trying to do. God was getting Peter ready to minister to the Gentiles, people that the Jewish believers considered to be unclean, and they would distance themselves from them. And so basically God says to Peter, quit calling unclean what I am now in the process of cleansing. Oh, I feel like preaching now. I wished I had a voice to do this. God was in the process of cleansing and cleaning up what the early believers would repel and resist and stay away from. Can I tell you God is up to something in these last days that we're living in? Don't write anybody off. My Lord, have mercy. His grace is sufficient. Don't write anybody off. His mercy is overwhelming. Don't write anybody off. His blood still cleanses from all unrighteousness. Don't write anybody off. Give the Lord praise in this house. So God is instructing Peter, and he comes out of the vision. And about that time, he hears a knock on the door, and there's a bunch of Italians standing at the front porch of Simon the Tanner's house. Peter goes to the door just in time for them to introduce themselves and say, we have come from Cornelius' house. 
And he is requesting that you come. And because of the work that the Lord had done in Peter's life, there is now no resistance. Peter is anxious to go and see what God is about to do as a result of all of this. They make their way eventually to Caesarea. And when they walk into Cornelius' house, Cornelius doesn't know anything else to do except to bow down as if he's going to give homage and worship this preacher that has come into his house. That's the only way he knows to respond. Well, Peter won't let him do it. Peter stops him, and he says, get up, man. I've seen the vision. Now listen to what he says. I've seen the vision, and I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. What a statement. I mean, this is the man who has told the early believers, nobody else gets this but us. But now, because of the convincing power of God in his life, he is broadening his perspective and he says, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. What's good for the Jew is also good now for the Gentile. Can I preach right there for about 30 seconds? What's good for a Pentecostal is good for a Baptist. What's good for a Pentecostal is good for a Methodist. What's good for a Pentecostal is good for anybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For they that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is no respecter of persons. Oh, I feel like preaching here tonight. The only prerequisite to being filled with the Holy Ghost is a hunger and a thirst for the righteous things of God. For they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Clap your hands unto the Lord in this house. <laughs> Peter says, get up. I've seen the vision. I know what this is about. And then the Bible said that Peter began to speak. I haven't forgot a text, by the way. I'm going to get there eventually. Peter began to speak. And while he was yet speaking, Acts chapter 10 shows us, the Holy Ghost fell on them. I can almost imagine the Holy Spirit tapping Peter on the shoulder, saying, if you'll shut up, I'll take over right now. While he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell. I like the description there. Oh, there are times of those gentle breezes of the Spirit. There are times when it seems like the Holy Ghost just sort of tiptoes into our life with comfort and grace. But in this case, you get the impression that there was a sudden impact of His presence and His power. The Holy Spirit fell on them. I was reading that some years ago. I was in a place preaching a conference. And in the hotel room earlier that day, I began to read this out of Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, and I began to ask myself, what did Peter say? What in this world was he preaching that was such impact, was such profoundness, was such unction and anointing? What was Peter preaching that the Holy Ghost stepped in and said, let me have it now? And I came to the conclusion he was preaching about Jesus. Peter took that occasion to just proclaim the goodness of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brother, I began to research the scripture and I, I came up with his outline. I, I really think I came up with Peter's outline that he preached. First of all, if you'll go back and look at it very carefully, he preached about Jesus being born of a virgin. 
He preached about Jesus living a virtuous, holy life. He preached about Jesus dying a vicarious, substitutionary death. He preached about Jesus being raised in the victorious resurrection, and he preached about Jesus coming back in a visible return. And he basically looked at everybody and he said, you still got Jesus on your hands. The Jews thought they had crucified him and put him in a tomb, and he would never be seen or heard of again. But even on the day of Pentecost, Peter looked at that crowd and he said, you still got Jesus to contend with. My God, I feel this in my soul. And I said to myself in that hotel room that day, if I can just get up and preach what Peter preached that day in Cornelius' house, I might get the same effects in the service I'm going to be in tonight. Listen, I got up and preached that night about Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, we've got too many preachers preaching about everybody else and everything else these days. We need to get back to preaching about Jesus. Jesus said... Jesus said when the Holy Ghost comes, he won't beat his own drum. He won't toot his own horn. He said he will preach about Jesus. He will lift up the name of Jesus. He will draw men toward Jesus. That's what I've come to do tonight. I've come to preach about the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. Jesus Christ, living a virtuous life. Jesus Christ, dying a substitutionary death on the cross so that you and I didn't have to do it. Jesus Christ, raised in a victorious resurrection. And Jesus Christ, coming back in a visible return. I came to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. If I be lifted up, he said, I will draw all men unto me. Somebody clap your hands to him in this house. And while he proclaimed Jesus, the Holy Ghost fell on them. Now Peter's got a problem. He's got to go back and explain this. He's got to go back and unpack it to the church board, the church and pastor's council. Because he went off and had this revival and something powerful happened. And now he's got to go back, Pastor Donald, and explain what happened and try to convince them that it's real. Here's how he does it. In Acts chapter 11, by this time he's made his way back to Jerusalem. He's been dwelling on it. He's been thinking about it. And when he gets back in verse 15, here was his explanation. I love this. He said in verse 15, as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, watch this, as on us. At the beginning. Watch the comparison here. He fell on them as on us in the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift that he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? If it was 42 years ago when I preached that first revival here, I would have already jumped this stage. But I promised Jesus a long time ago I'd quit jumping stage and start taking the steps. Amen. Who was I that I could withstand God was ready to do something powerful here. You think I can withstand God? 
You think I can stiff arm God and say, no, that's not permissible in this church? Y'all don't want me to preach tonight. You think I can withstand God and say, we've never done it like that before? Can I withstand God and say, we don't act like that around here? Who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things in verse 18, they held their peace. A good move of God will shut a lot of people up. (laughs) They held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. It's validated. It's verified. We accept it. What happened for them is real. And I'm drawn back to what Peter said, and I want to make it my prayer for your camp meeting this week. He said he fell on them as on us in the beginning. And my prayer for you tonight is, O Lord, let him fall on us as he fell on them in the beginning. On this opening night of your camp meeting, that is a prayer that I want to confess and pray over you, Lord. Let him fall in the New River Valley as he fell on the day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago. By the time Wednesday night rolls around, baptize people in the Holy Spirit. By the time Wednesday night rolls around, convince us that God is still on the move in these last days. By the time Wednesday night rolls around, heal the sick and touch the afflicted. Let him fall on us as he fell on them. I'm looking for validity tonight. I'm looking for authenticity tonight. I want what happened on the day of Pentecost. Oh, I wished I could preach tonight. Peter saw the importance of connecting the two experiences. That was the only way he could get the early crowd to accept what has happened to the Gentiles. He had to connect the two experiences. And he says to them, what they received at Cornelius' house is what we received on the day of Pentecost. The manifestation was different, but the messenger was the same. On the day of Pentecost, it was manifested with tongues of fire and a rushing mighty wind. We don't have that in Cornelius' house. But the same messenger brought the same gift. They're filled with the Spirit. You know, sometimes we get all messed up because we chase manifestations. I'm preaching better than anybody shouting tonight. I don't have a clue where Tommy Bates or Rod Parsley or any of them are tonight, but they cannot be preaching better than I am right now. They got a stronger voice, I promise you that, but they can't be preaching and feel any better than I feel right now. We go around chasing manifestations. And I believe in manifestations. We've all seen wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But God didn't build this church on manifestations. He built it upon his word. 
God didn't build his church on some exciting thing that comes and go. He, he built his church upon the word. And Peter brings out to these people in Acts chapter 11 what happened in Cornelius' house. is not about a manifestation. It's about the in-depth outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he fell on them as he did on us. He draws the comparison. But he doesn't make an issue out of the manifestation. But since he does draw the comparison, let me focus on what happened on Acts chapter 2 and move towards something here. I quoted it earlier. I want to slow down and just draw some things out of that passage. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, in the timing of God, it's not an afterthought. It's not an accident. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven. Can I talk about that sound for just a moment? First of all, let's talk about the source of that sound. It had a heavenly origin. It came from the throne room of God, the sound from heaven. Oh, I want to hear from heaven tonight. I need to be careful here because my mind is wandering. I don't want to, I won't go down rabbit trails tonight. But it's too late. I'm already there. I don't need to hear another sound out of Washington, D.C. I didn't come to be disrespectful tonight. I'm not going to criticize leadership. I could, but I'm not. But I really don't need to hear another confounded, confusing sound out of our nation's capital right now that desperately needs God. I think I've stepped into it already. God help us. And there are good people there. I've had the privilege of meeting with some of them. I've actually had the privilege of standing in some of those offices before and have heard senators and congressmen say, please tell Pentecostal people to pray for us here. I've had them tell me that. But I don't need to hear a sound coming out of Washington. A sound that can't differentiate the difference between men and women on a bathroom door. I've done got it started now. A sound that can't differentiate about a man competing in women's sports. And they want to pass on to us a transgender agenda and confuse our young people and tell us as a church we have to acknowledge that. No, we don't have to acknowledge that. Now, y'all better pray for me. You started something today, buddy. I mean, you just got me going today. I don't know if I'm mad or anointed right now. Somebody better pray hard. I don't need to hear a sound coming out of Hollywood, California. Uh, an unending pipeline of sludge coming at the United States of America. Thank God for some Christian movie producers 
that will produce something that's wholesome for our churches and our families to watch. But I don't need to hear another sound that is confusing and a sound that is damnable taking men and women to hell as fast as... No, I want to tell you what we need to hear. We need to hear a sound from the glory world, a sound of righteousness, a sound of holiness, a sound of purity, a sound that draws us back to the throne room of God. We need to hear a sound from heaven. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Let's talk about the strength of that sound. Not just the source of it, but the strength of it. A rushing mighty wind. The implication there is that it was a downward thrust. And it was strong and it was powerful. Like a burst of wind that came into that upper room. Blowing away everything that was in those disciples' life that would have hindered them from getting this church built. Everything that caused them to have hang-ups, bitterness toward one another, the anger issues, the competitive issues, the doubting issues. Did you ever stop and look at the crowd Jesus left here to build his church? But when the Holy Ghost blew in that day, he blew out those things, and he brought in the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and love for one another. We need the strength of that wind blowing in our churches today. But then let's look at the saturation of that sound. It filled all the house. There was not one square inch of that upper room left untouched by this wind. That's been my prayer for this service tonight. Is that when we come in here tonight, the Holy Spirit would saturate this building with His presence. All over this floor where you're sitting, in the corners, up here on this platform. Let the Holy Ghost saturate our homes and saturate our families again. That was the sound from heaven. But then, there were sights to Pentecost. There was not just a sound of Pentecost. There were the sights of Pentecost. There appeared unto them flickering flames, cloven tongues like as of fire. And it's set upon each of them. Can I just say this quickly? We need to see Pentecost again. Our children need to see Pentecost. Oh, help me, Jesus. I use this phrase... To describe what I see in some churches. Some churches are trying to promote what I call a clandestine Pentecost. That simply means they're just kind of moving through the darkness. And moving through the shadows because they don't want anybody to know. No, I want Pentecost brought out in the daylight. We need to see the miracles of Pentecost. We need to see the fruits of Pentecost. I fear that a younger generation, if we're not careful, will grow up in a church that knows not the power of God and doesn't see the miracle of Pentecost. When you go through the book of Acts, you see almost in every chapter, the people saw Pentecost. They saw it in Acts chapter 2 with the tongues of fire and the rushing wind. They saw it in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer and raised up that crippled man. It was a notable miracle that drew thousands 
so that Peter could preach to them about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, they saw Pentecost again after they had been in prison and incarcerated. And when they came back to their own company, the Bible said, the place was shaken with the power of God. Oh, I feel this. They saw Pentecost again when Peter would walk down the street and his very shadow would pass over the sick people and they were raised up by the power of God as his shadow passed over them. They saw Pentecost again. When Paul was bitten by a snake and he shook the thing off into the fire that it came out of. And he said, get off of me, you devil. And the Bible said that he did not swell up and he did not fall down and he did not die. And he felt no harm. They saw Pentecost throughout the book of Acts. I wished I could express it the way I feel it tonight. We need to see Pentecost again. I'm here tonight. Because my father saw Pentecost. I've never talked much when I've been around these parts about my pedigree. I want to tell you what happened in my family. My father was born toward the end of the Great Depression. At the age of 15 years old, he forged a birth certificate to go and join the army. But the army caught him, and they realized what he was trying to do, and they turned him away. He went right across the street in Lubbock, Texas, to the Navy recruiting office, and they took him. Go figure that one out. And for a year, he sailed in the South Pacific on a hospital evacuation ship. He was the oldest of nine children. He ran away from an abusive father. He ran away from a very depressed situation, trying to escape. He sailed for a year on that hospital evacuation ship, and his mother turned him in and pleaded a hardship case because her husband was an alcoholic, took his own life in jail, and they sent my dad back to help her take care of those other eight children. At 15 years of age, almost 16, he came back. And he met my mother. They married when dad had just turned 16. Mom was 15. I stand before God tonight to tell you, if a 16-year-old boy stepped up on my porch to marry my 15-year-old daughter, somebody would have got hurt in the name of Jesus. But you got to go back in time. Those kind of things happen. They got married. Neither one of them had a Pentecostal or even a church upbringing. My great-grandmother, dad's grandmother, had some heritage link to Pentecost through the church of God. But her daughter, after she got married, my dad's mother, she did not cling very closely to Pentecost or church. Therefore, my dad wasn't raised to know it either. My mother, what little church background she had, was in a Methodist church. 
and they rarely went to church at all. But when they got married, at 15 and 16, they very quickly started a family and very quickly had three children. And all this time, dad wasn't saved. He wasn't born again. No church connectivity whatsoever. Coming out of the depression in such a difficult economic time, both of them were doing their best to find jobs and and find work. My mother went to work, of all things, picking up sweet potatoes in a West Texas field. And she would go every day and she would work this field picking up sweet potatoes and sometimes they would pick cotton and all kinds of things just to eat by and make a living. She was picking sweet potatoes one day and there was a woman beside her who happened to be Church of God. She had a heritage coming out of South Carolina. Her last name was Pyatt. Years later, I would work with one of her descendants by the name of Dwayne Pyatt who directed our ministerial internship program for quite some time internationally. Brother David, you know Dwayne. It was his great-grandmother. And they're working this field together. And at the end of the, of the session that they were working, the end of the, the time, right before noon, they stood up to rest and stretch. And the woman they referred to as Granny Pyatt looked over at my mother. I had not come along at that time, obviously, but she looked over at the woman who would be my mother. And she called her by her first name, which is Anna. She lives with me now, by the way. She's 94 years of age, and she lives at our home. She looked at Anna, and she said, Anna, and she used two terms my mother was not familiar with. Number one, we're having a revival at the Church of God. Mom didn't have a clue what a revival was. That was one term. And then she started talking to her about the rapture of the church and scared her half to death. She said, have you heard Jesus is coming soon? My mom hadn't heard anything like that in all her life. At the end of that day, she went home trembling and afraid. And she began to unpack that to my father. And Granny Pyatt said, Anna, I want you to come to our revival. Mom was scared, but she was intrigued enough to go to the revival without dad's blessing. And when she made the mistake of telling dad where she had been after she had gone and come back, dad responded with, don't you ever go back again. Those people are crazy. I don't know much about them, but I know enough to know those people are crazy and they'll pour something on you. Stay away. Sunday rolled around. Mom was intrigued. She had got just enough in that first service that she went to to know there's something about this. I want to know more. She got those three children dressed, and over Dad's objection, she took them to church. Dad stayed home to work on an old car with Mom's brother, and both of them were drinking. Dad was following the same path that his own father had followed until he took his own life. They were drinking and working on a car. God bless that car. No telling what kind of shape they were in working on that car. But at about 1120, 
Dad, here's something. It so startled him, his head was under the hood of that car. He jumped up and hit his head on the hood of that car. And you can imagine what he said. But it wasn't very pretty. He looks out across the field and he sees my mother and three children in tow. She's carrying the youngest and she's moving across that field as fast as she can. Two running behind her. She's carrying the one child. My dad leaves and runs and meets her halfway across the field and says, my God, he called her Mildred. He said, my God, Mildred, what is going on? Where have you been? She said, you were right. I should have listened to you. I went back to that church and you're absolutely right. They are crazy over there. She said, we were having service and everything was nice and calm. And all of a sudden, they started singing and talking in a language I've never heard before. They started running. They started praising. They started jumping. I've never seen people act like that in church in all my life. And my dad said, I'm telling you, stay away from them. Don't you ever let me catch you going back again. Seven days later. She got those kids ready, went to church, and this time she came home with Jesus. She thought she would come home and introduce Jesus to Dad. But Dad was so full of the devil at that time, he didn't have any room for Jesus. And for years, Dad resisted. He said to my mother, I will never walk into a church house door. He associated his father's death and the funeral that was held in a church. He associated that with such a bad memory. He said, I don't ever walk into a church house. And years went by. An evangelist came to town, Lubbock, Texas. And this particular evangelist was used of the Lord in the gifts of the Spirit. He would lay hands on the sick and the sick would be healed and Miracles happened in his ministry. But the difference with this evangelist was he primarily had his meetings either in a tent or in a civic auditorium. And in this case, he had his meeting in a civic auditorium in that West Texas town of Lubbock, Texas. My dad was without excuse. He had always said to mom, I will not go into a church building. She said, I get that, but this is not in a church building. This is in a civic auditorium. She arranged for a babysitter for those three children who had grown some by this time, and they went to that auditorium. On purpose, they sat on the back row. Dad refused to go any further than the back row. He took his seat and he folded his arms. A head full of suspicion, a heart full of cynicism. And he looked over at his wife and said, all right, Anna, let's watch the show. Such criticism, such suspicion. And the show started. They sang. The preacher preached. They did everything you do in a service. He got through the word of God being preached. People prayed. And then he started his ministry. He brought people across the stage. And dad was intrigued by that. He watched it. Still very suspicious, very cynical. He thought it was all a sham and a show until 
a family came up the steps on that stage. And it got my father's attention. He knew the father and the husband of this young family. They worked together on a job before. And when dad saw him walk up on that stage, he moved to the edge of his seat. And he said, I've got to see this. When that young couple walked up on that stage, they had two children, very severely challenged. One was even blind and could not see. One was deaf and could not hear. And the deaf one had a very crippled arm. It had never reached up for its mother. It had a twisted limb. And my dad looked at his wife, my mother, and said, let's see what happens now. That evangelist, and I met his son years later and I told him this story. That evangelist reached down and very gently, without fanfare, without pomp, without circumstance, laid his hands on those children. And the place came to a holy hush as that one child's eyes began to blink. And you could tell that that child was focusing for the first time on the face of his precious mother. And it was very obvious that God had worked a creative miracle and put pupils in the eyes of that child. And for the very first time, that child saw its mother and he reached up and they embraced. The evangelist then laid hands on the child that was deaf. And very obviously, healing came. And for the first time in that child's life, that child could hear. And then his hand was straightened. His arm strengthened. And God worked a miracle right there in front of that entire crowd. My father, for the first time in his life, saw the effects of Pentecost. He nudged my mother in the ribs and said, if that's the Jesus you came home with, I want to take him home with me tonight. If that's the Holy Ghost you came home with, I want that Holy Ghost. And in short order, my dad walked the aisle and gave his heart to Jesus Christ and in a short order became a preacher of the gospel. That's why I'm here tonight at Pulaski, Virginia because my daddy saw Pentecost. I want my grandson to see Pentecost. I want my granddaughter to see Pentecost. I want young people throughout the church of God or around this world to see Pentecost I don't need another show I need Pentecost I don't need another performance I need Pentecost I don't need another dead service I need Pentecost to be seen and then raise your hands and praise God in this house Lord, show us your glory. Show us Pentecost again. Let him fall on us as he fell on them. Raise your hands and praise him in this house. Raise your hands just once more and give him praise. Stand with me for a moment here. Come, Holy Spirit. The needs of our society demand an outpouring of the Spirit. The condition of our country demands a church full of the Holy Ghost. The needs of this world demand a church that will hear the answer to this prayer. Let him fall on us as he fell on them. 
the limitations of my voice won't let me finish this tonight. But I want to tell you, not only are there sights and sounds, there is a speech to Pentecost. They spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Someday if Jesus tarries, they'll cart my clot of clay down a center aisle and take me somewhere and bury me. But I want to tell you, I will preach and proclaim to my dying day, a Spirit-filled believer will speak in a heavenly language as the initial auditory evidence of the Holy Ghost. But let me take three minutes to tell you about the significance of Pentecost. Come on and get ready to play for me, singers and musicians. The significance of Pentecost is not the sound, it's not the sight. Or the speech. The significance of Pentecost was actually brought about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where the word of God says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Here it comes. You shall be witnesses unto me. We're not filled with the Holy Ghost so we can jump higher, run faster, and scream louder. We are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can effectively reach this world for Jesus Christ. Witnesses unto His name. Witnesses unto His glory. Reach over and touch somebody you're standing beside. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just make a point of contact right now. And I'm asking you, Lord, that the power of the sweet Holy Ghost will anoint every pastor, anoint every Sunday school teacher, anoint every layman, every layperson with fresh unction and fresh power from on high. And let us see Pentecost again in our day and in our time. Oh, he's in this house. Somebody just welcome the Holy Spirit here. Welcome the Holy Spirit here. He's in this house. He's in this house. Come, Holy Ghost. Come on, pray in the Spirit, somebody. Pray in the Spirit, somebody. The Holy Ghost is ready to do a work here tonight. He's ready to do a work here tonight. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Raise your hands and wave them over your head and just pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite you to do something tonight that I don't know that I've ever given this kind of invitation. I don't think I've ever framed it quite like this. I feel led of the Lord to ask you tonight if you want the Holy Spirit to come to your house. I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about your house. If you want a household revival like Cornelius had. All the times I've been preaching, I've never said that. 
if you want a household salvation, a household Pentecost, wouldn't that be wonderful? If we experience a household Pentecost that touches every child, every parent, that's my call to you tonight. If you want a household revival, come stand with me right down here. Come on, come on, come on. Move forward as the Lord is leading, as the Lord is directing. Just, just step down here. Sing something, whatever God has given you, brother, while people are coming. Father, in Jesus' name, we welcome the Holy Spirit here. 